Welcome to First Baptist Church in Belton. We are glad you found us. We seek to know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally together. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's message. All right, well, good morning, church. It is great to see you all here this morning. I hope all of you are doing well. For those of you worshiping online with us, we're so thankful that you have joined us, even if it is from your living room. We're grateful for that. So today we are going to continue our series called Encountering Jesus. Encountering Jesus, how the resurrected Christ transforms the everyday life of his followers. Now, if you remember right from last week, we had the opportunity to take a walk with Jesus, a seven-mile journey on the road to Emmaus where Jesus... Uh, man, where, where he opened to us the scriptures, he showed us how all of the Old Testament points to him and how all of the New Testament points back to him. And so we learned that Jesus is the climax of all biblical and human history. But if you remember right, the great thrust, so the great challenge of last week's sermon was the question, are you walking with Christ? Are you walking with Christ? And then on top of that, are we as a church walking with Christ? And so when people drive down 317 or they're heading down Main Street and they look over at our church, do they say, man, those, the people at First Baptist Belton, man, that's a group of people. Man, they love Jesus and they walk with him. Is that how the community, if, if Belton, if they all got together and said, man, this is who First Baptist Belton is, what would they say of us? And I hope it's that we would be a people who are walking with Jesus. And so this morning, we're going to look at another encounter in the New Testament between Jesus and one of his disciples called Mary Magdalene. And so if you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles. We're going to be in John chapter 20, verses 11 through 19 this morning. So John chapter 11, John chapter 20, verse 11 through 19. If you would, go ahead and stand in honor of the reading of God's word. This is the word of the Lord, beginning in verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside of the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord. I do not know where that they have laid him. And having said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, please tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and to your father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said all of these things to her. Well, God, we come to you this morning knowing that you are not dead, but you are alive. That we worship the risen Jesus. And so, Father, as we seek to encounter you this morning, God, I just pray that you would meet us in this place and that you would transform us. 
God, I'm keenly aware that your word is enough. That all we need to be transformed is your word. And so, Lord, I pray that all of what I have to say this morning would be in tune with your spirit. God, that you would anoint my words, Father, that through them you would speak and that we would be transformed. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, for those of you who do not know Mary, let me take a few minutes of your time and introduce you to her. Mary first shows up in the New Testament in Luke chapter 8 as a woman possessed of seven demons. It's helpful to note here that while Mary, many believe this to be true, there are two different misnomers regarding Mary. The first one is that she was married to Jesus. There's no biblical evidence that would suggest that she was married to Jesus. In fact, there's no biblical evidence that would suggest that Jesus was married at all. As a matter of fact, he was single throughout the life of his ministry. Secondly, there's a second misnomer that she was a former prostitute. This is also untrue. There's no biblical evidence that would suggest that either. Nevertheless, Mary was in fact possessed. Now, religious leaders, friends, and family, many in her community have done all that they can to help her up until this point, but have been unsuccessful. They've been unsuccessful to heal her. They've been unsuccessful in seeing Mary become whole. I I think the community itself had, had given up on her. I think it's even probably safe to say that Mary had probably given up on herself as well. All seemed hopeless until Jesus arrives on the scene. So Jesus shows up and he doesn't show up as as a normal man, but he shows up and he looks at Mary and he calls her by name. Now, this is important because what it does is it signifies the reality that Jesus looks at Mary in her possessed state. When all of the world and everyone had given up on her, Jesus takes a step closer and he calls her by name. He says, I see you. I know you. I love you. And then Jesus proceeds to heal her, to save her, to redeem her. And from that moment on, Mary is described as a faithful servant and follower of Christ. I don't know if you know this or not, but Mary is known to be the first one at the tomb on the resurrection morning. But not only that, Mary is also known to be the last one at the cross. I think if Mary had a Twitter handle or a personal bio statement, I think it would read something like this. Once demon-possessed, now set free. Once forgotten, now chosen. First at the tomb, last at the cross, committed disciple and faithful follower of Jesus. I think if we read that, I think we would have all that we need to know about Mary Magdalene. But as it is, we find this encounter with her in John chapter 20. Now, the chapter begins with Mary arriving first at the tomb. The text says it's still dark, so it's early in the morning. Mary arrives at the tomb, and when she gets there, she notices that the tomb is rolled away. Soldiers are nowhere to be found, and she peeks into the tomb, and it's there where she sees that the body of Jesus is gone. Now, this is the same... This is the same Jesus, the same Mary, where, where she saw him take, being taken off the cross and buried in this tomb. And, and she stands there in amaze, going, where is the body of Jesus? Supposing him to be stolen. She packs up her belongings. She head back, heads back to the, to the place where she believes that the disciples are staying. And she bursts through the doors and she says, guys, you've got to come and see this. The body of Jesus is gone. He's nowhere to be found. 
Jesus is gone. And so Peter and John make a beeline to the tomb. They run as fast as they can. They get to the tomb. They see that the stone, it truly is rolled away. They peek inside of the tomb and they see it is just as Mary described. The body of Jesus is gone. It's nowhere to be found. Well, soon after that, the disciples left and they went home. And after they left and, went, left and went home, Mary stood all alone outside of the tomb. Exhausted physically and emotionally, the only emotion she has left is, is to weep over the loss of Jesus. And it's there where she is met by two angels and they ask her a simple question. They say, woman, why are you weeping? Mary, why are you weeping? Now, this may seem like a silly question to you or to me, but I want you to see how Mary's respond, or see how Mary responds here in verse 13. She laments, she says, they have taken away my Lord. They have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Listen, this is an incredibly powerful, powerful statement. Because what Mary is saying here is that the body of the one who called her by name is missing. The body of the one who once saved her, the the body of the one who redeemed her, the body of the one who delivered her, the body of the one who saw her and despite her circumstances, didn't run away in fear, but took a step closer. Her Lord was missing. What I love about this passage is that despite all of the events that have happened, Mary's faith in the Lordship of Jesus was unwavering. Mary's faith in the lordship of Jesus was unwavering. See, it was on the night that Jesus was killed that all the disciples went home, but Mary lingered at the cross. She lingered at the feet of Jesus. And on the morning that Jesus was resurrected, when all the disciples went home, it was Mary who stayed back and lingered at the empty tomb. The lordship Mary's faith in the lordship of Jesus was unwavering. Church, where's your heart lingering this morning? Where's your heart lingering this morning? Do you find yourself in the place of the disciples, man, heading home, trying to figure out life? Okay, well, I don't know what's happened. I'm I'm just going to go figure out life. Or would you be in the case of Mary lingering for the presence of of Jesus. See, I think for Mary, see, all of the world had, had come to a point where it was standing still. You can almost hear her say, how can I go home without my king? I love it saying Augustine said, he said that our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Our hearts, they will be all, they will always be restless until they find their rest in Jesus. I think Mary's heart was incredibly restless. I think it was incredibly troubled. And and so she lingered at the tomb, lingered at the empty tomb, longing to be in the presence of Jesus. Where is your heart lingering? Again, Mary's faith and lordship of Jesus was unwavering despite her circumstances. You know, in the world, there's really only one question that distinguishes Christianity from all other religions. And that is the answer to this question. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? 
That is truly what distinguishes us from all major religions on this earth, but it is also said that true followers of Christ are identified by their answer to that very same question. And so church, I ask you this morning, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? Is Jesus your Lord? Or is he just another pawn in the game that we call life? Is Jesus your Lord? Or is he just another puzzle piece in the puzzle? Who is Jesus to you? See, Mary's faith in the lordship of Jesus was unwavering because she had no other. She didn't have another savior. She didn't have another deliverer. She didn't have another healer. All she had was Jesus. You know, it reminds me of the famous sermon in John chapter 6. Maybe you can recall that story as Jesus had gathered up a great multitude of people and they've all gathered to hear Jesus speak and Jesus gets up and he begins to preach. And he says something to the tune of this. He, he says something like, if you do not eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you will have no part in me. It's probably the fastest way to kill any megachurch. Right, he says that, and, and it's in that moment when all of the crowd assumes that Jesus is either crazy, a cannibal, or a combination of both. And it's there where the crowd completely vanishes from the presence and the congregation of the people. And the only people left are the disciples. And there's this dramatic scene in the story where Jesus looks over at the disciples and, and he says, well, they've gone. Are you going to go too? Are you going to go too? And I love what Peter says, because man, if you're in the, in the place of Peter, you can imagine he's like, golly, like we've just gathered this huge group of people. Jesus, why do you have to say crazy things like that? Like, why do you have to say nothing? I mean, why, why do we have to go there? But no, that's not how Peter responds at all. As a matter of fact, Peter looks back and he says, well, Jesus, where else are we going to go? You're all that we have. You're all that we have, Jesus. Only you hold the words of life. We have nowhere else to go. And yet, sadly, many well-meaning Christians struggle with this because in our current context, we have many lowercase l lords. We have many lowercase l lords. We have the Lord of money. We have the Lord of success. We have the Lord of ambition, the Lord of control, the Lord of appearance, the Lord of approval. We even have the Lord of politics somehow believing that some man or woman is going to uh, fix what is broken in humanity. The reality is, is that all of these lowercase L's are competing for one throne on your heart. Who is the king of your heart? Who is your Lord? Who is it that you are bowing down to this morning? And despite the reality that, yes, there are many lords that our hearts are always competing to worship, what the Bible says is that there is nothing that even compares to Jesus, that he is far more superior than anything else on this earth. As a matter of fact, the Bible describes Jesus in 50 different ways. Of course, we don't have time to cover all of them, but I want you to see how the Bible describes Jesus. 
Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega of Revelation 22. He's the Almighty One of Revelation chapter 1. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith in Hebrews chapter 12. The great deliverer of 1 Thessalonians 1. The good shepherd of John 10. Oh, Jesus is the great high priest of Hebrews 4. The great I am of John chapter 5. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us of Isaiah 7. King of kings of Revelation 17. Lord of lords of Philippians 2. He is the Lamb of God in John 1. And He is the light of the world in John chapter 8. He is the Lion of Judah of Revelation 5. He is the creator and the sustainer of all that is on this earth in John 1. He is the way, the truth, and the life of John 14, 6. And He is the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father. He is our Prince of Peace of Isaiah chapter 9. Church, this is who Jesus describes as Jesus. And while all of these things are true, they are of little good to you if you do not believe them in your heart. See, it's one thing to know these things are true up here. It is quite another thing to believe them in your heart. While Mary is standing at the tomb, just like that, the angels left, and suddenly another man appears, and Jesus, disguised as a gardener, asks Mary the same question that the angels asked her. He says, woman, woman, why are you weeping? And he proceeds and he says, who are you seeking? Of course, Mary not recognizing Jesus, supposing him to be the gardener, maybe even the one who has taken the body of Jesus, says, please, sir, if you know where he is, please tell me that I may find and care for him. And just like the two men on the road to Emmaus last week, I have found that it's our circumstances that often blind us from the reality that Jesus is standing right before us. But it's also our circumstances that deafen our ears from hearing His voice. See, it's the storms of life. It's the storms of our life that cloud out our vision and oftentimes dull our hearing the voice of Jesus. It's the storms of life. So circumstances, when the waves get high and they begin to crash over our heads, that, that's when we become distracted. That's, that's when... We're unable to see the reality that Jesus is right beside us. That there's this still small voice that's saying, hey, it's going to be okay. It's in the midst of those storms when you and I are distracted. You know, when I was in high school, I had, uh, I had just started driving. My parents, I'll never forget it, handed me the keys of this 96 Chevrolet. I was so pumped. White, maroon interior. It was incredible. I loved every second of it. And what I thought they were doing is I thought that they were handing me the keys to my freedom, but really what they were doing is they were handing me the keys to the unofficial position of taxi driver for my younger brother. That's really what they were doing. And so when I thought, oh, this is about freedom, it really was about offloading and freeing them. That's really what it was. That's what, you, that's what happens when you turn 16. Guys, get ready. But there was one evening where my brother and I were spending time at the church. We were at a youth gathering on a worship, worship night for, for our youth ministry. And I'll never forget it. We were sitting there and this huge hailstorm blew in. And man, the, the storm was loud. Uh, so man, well, I, I bolted it to the car. And as soon as we got out there, of course, it's a hailstorm. And if you've ever experienced a West Texas hailstorm, there's really nothing quite like it. 
talking golf ball sized hell, wind blowing 40 miles an hour, temperatures dropped 40 degrees, the rain is going right to left. It's an incredibly miserable experience. And so we run out to the car, we get into the truck, I start the truck, and I, in my mind I'm like, I just got to get to that overpass. It's right around the corner from, from the church, about halfway from the church to the house. And so I make a beeline to that overpass, but it was in the midst of that storm where I couldn't see but maybe a foot in front of the truck over the haze of the rain. And I couldn't hear my brother speaking. I couldn't even hear myself think over the loud thundering on, of the hell. But it was in this storm that my reality of what is true suddenly dissipated because I could no longer see the fact that Jesus is standing in front of me, nor could I hear the fact that he's saying, hey, Logan, it's going to be all right. Yeah. See, the point of this story is that it is great to know who Jesus is when life is going really, really well. It's an entirely different thing to know who Jesus is in the midst of the storm. It's great to know who Jesus is when life is going great. It's an entirely different thing to know who Jesus is in the midst of our storms. You know, sociologists would say that we've gone through five major storms in a year. Can you believe that? Five major storms. They would also say that if we were to even just go through one, it would be enough for us to be hopeless. We've gone through a a season of global infirmity, social instability, racial inequality, financial insecurity, political incivility. We have gone through five major storms. And the question that you and I have got to wrestle with this morning is who is Lord in the midst of the storm? Who is the Lord of your life? But then also, who is the Lord over your circumstances? See, it's easy for me to proclaim Jesus is Lord when things are good. It's another thing to proclaim Jesus is Lord in the midst of tough circumstances. And I think it's because we separate the two. We say, absolutely, Jesus is Lord over my life. But we forget that Jesus is also Lord over our circumstances. Who is the Lord over your life. I don't know about you, but I have found that our hope in the storm is directly tied to the Lord over my circumstances. <laughs> when Jesus is Lord over my circumstances and over my life, I can take great refuge in Him because I know that He's not only in control over my life, but He's also in control over my circumstances. Whether that's good or bad, He is in control. He is Lord to piggyback off of the Great Commission. He has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Jesus is Lord. But is He your Lord? Well, it is in the midst of the storm where Mary heard the gardener call out, Mary! And just for a sec, just for a second, the storm passes and it's in the silence and the stillness of that moment that Mary recognized the voice. I mean, you can almost hear her brain working. Wait a minute. I know that voice. I know that voice. It's the, it's the voice of the one who called me out of my darkness and into his light. It's the one who saved me. It's, it's the one who redeemed me. You can hear her say, wait a minute. That's the voice of Jesus. And before she even turns around, she calls out, Teacher! Teacher! It's you! What you see in this interchange is what John describes in John chapter 10, verse 3. It says, The sheep hear His voice, and He calls His own sheep by name 
and he leads them out. See, Jesus had entered into the storm. He had called her by name. He had healed her. And then he called her out of the storm and he gave her direction. He gave her purpose. He gave her a mission. He, he says, listen, go to the disciples. Go tell them that all that you've heard is true, that I have risen from the dead, that I'm, I, I'm no longer dead, but I am alive. Go tell them. But guys, don't miss the content of the message. Verse 17. In verse 17, Jesus tells Mary, he says, Go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Embedded in this message, in this message is not only a mission to proclaim the truth that Jesus is alive, but it's also to show us that God's grand divine adoption process is now complete. It's signed, it's sealed, it's delivered. A people who were once orphaned are now sons and daughters. That the work of Jesus on the cross through his death, through his burial and his resurrection, Jesus is no longer teacher, but he's brother. He's our brother. No longer is God just his God, but now he is our father. For the first time in history, humans can Stand in relationship to God. It's the same God. The very same God that in Leviticus tells us that if we were to draw near to His presence, He would literally kill us. It's that same God that now in Hebrews chapter 4 that tells us that we can draw near to Him boldly. Because we are sons. We are daughters. We are adopted by the King. For the very first time in history, we can truly know God and not just know about God, but we can truly know Him and experience. And we can know Him in relationship. Church, do you know Him? Not just about Him. Knowing about Him is certainly of some good. But do you know Him in relationship? Do you know Him? John 17.3 says, And this is eternal life, that you would know God and Jesus Christ in whom He is sent. Do you know Him? See, it's our knowing of Him that is our direct lifeline in the midst of the storm. In the storm of life, our lifeline is the reality that we know Him. We know Him in relationship. Well, verse 18, Mary gathers herself and she runs to the home where the disciples were staying and the text says that she announced, I have seen the Lord. I've seen the Lord. It, it's no longer I have seen my Lord. What she is proclaiming is the truth that Jesus is Lord, that He has conquered the grave. It's not just her Lord, it's now all of our Lord, Lords. He is Lord. What I knew in my heart, I have now seen with my eyes. I was once blind, but now I see. I was once overwhelmed, but now I have peace. I was once sad, but now my feet are dancing with joy. When Mary encountered the risen Jesus, she was transformed. 
She was transformed. See, Jesus transformed Mary's temporal sadness into eternal joy. And I'm just telling you that if Jesus can take a former demon-possessed woman with no hope, I'm telling you, He can transform you as well. He can transform us. If Jesus can do that with a lowly, demon-possessed woman, then surely He can do that with you. Surely He can do that with me. Oh, that we may enter into a relationship with Him. And that in doing so, we would be drastically transformed. That we would not be the same, but we would be a new people, a new creation. And that comes from you and from me knowing Jesus. Do you know Him? Do you know Him? And is He your Lord? Well, Father, we come to You and we just ask, God, that You would transform us. God, that You would reveal Yourself to us in a significant way. God, that we would know You. God, that we would know what true life, the abundant life that You talk about. God, that we would know what that truly means. God, I pray that we would be a church that has such great faith that we are unwavering in the Lordship of Jesus. That people would know us as as a people who walk with You, who dine with You, who live in Your presence, who linger at the foot of the cross. God, that we would be a people who linger at the tomb, knowing that knowing that You're not there, but God, that You were seated at the right hand of the Father. God, help us to know that. Help us to believe that. Father, it's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. Are you in a weekly Bible study? If you're not connected with First Baptist Belton or one of our small groups, we'd love to have you. Sunday morning meets from 9.45 to 10.45, and no matter what age or stage of life you're in, we have a Bible study for you.